Hi, I'm Peggy Farron. Welcome to the Understand Photography Show, where we talk about travel, nature, and fine art photography. We are going to talk about the different camera modes today. Joe Fitzpatrick is my guest. Joe's a regular because he works here at Understand Photography. So we're going to go through the different camera modes and why you should use which one and when and things like that. It's a really good show. Um, so stay tuned for that. And very, very relevant to this topic, our Four Weeks to Proficiency in Photography course. It's an online course, but it's an interactive course. So I, you have a teacher, that's me. So you have deadlines, you know, you, you, I mean, they're, they're loose deadlines. You know, if you can't make it by whatever Saturday, let's say I'll accept your homework late. <laughs> but it's a two hour, the format is a two hour class each week 30 minutes of homework um, for basically four days of the week, and then two days to catch up, practice, take a day off, whatever. In this four weeks, you're gonna learn, you're gonna have a very, very strong foundation in photography. You're gonna learn how to shoot in the manual mode. That's how I start everyone. So what each class does is it builds on the first class. First class shoot in manual, second class, composition. So your homework is composition homework, but you shoot it in the manual mode. Third class is lighting, including how to balance your flash so that it looks good. And then um, the, the last class, I call it the techie stuff, because that's where we get into metering modes and drive modes and focus modes and focus points, all that kind of stuff. So just go on uh, understandphotography.com and you'll, you'll see where we have the classes. So Joe Fitzpatrick is my guest. He's our lead instructor here at Understand Photography. He does the bulk of our private lessons as well. He's so, so smart. He knows like everything. And if he doesn't know, he can figure it out. But he's an expert in Lightroom. And he also understands the Mac computers, which are just too hard for me. <laughs> so welcome, Joe. Hey, it's good to be back. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's so weird to, to, to do this with you who lives right near me. <laughs> We're still doing it via Zoom, so <laughs> a little different. Anyway, today we're going to talk about different camera modes, but first give our audience a little bio about you. Joe Fitzpatrick. Hey, uh, I'm the lead instructor to understand photography. I uh, specialize in leading workshops to the Everglades, as well as doing uh, home monitoring sessions on a variety of subjects, including Lightroom. Yeah. Uh, my background is, uh, well, I shouldn't say including, but mostly Lightroom, I, I think. For the, say, Joe is our Lightroom expert in this entire area, not just within Understand Photography. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my background in photography, uh, until I come down here and joined Understand Photography, it was always on a part-time basis, but I, uh, I did uh, freelance work uh, for a number of different organizations. I also did some training videos where I worked for a major oil company. I was involved in uh, photographing uh, uh, professional racing for a while uh, because I was a, uh, an elected official, so I could get into the races when I wanted to and had access. I could do some photography there and sell it where I could. A little bit of everything. I did weddings for about 10 years back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, an entirely different breed back then. You know, you didn't have digital, you know, uh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And, uh, I've been with Understand Photography now, I guess, uh, eight, 10 years, somewhere around there, I guess, in quite a while. It's been at least 10. At least 10, yeah. More. Yeah, because I've been down here in Florida 14 now. It'll be 14 in December that I've been down in Florida. So, uh, and as I say, I come, I retired, moved down here, and then I ran into you and you unretired me. That's it. You got to work. <laughs> That's it. Put me back to work. <laughs> All right. Well, and to the audience, Joe is our, our resident technical person. He can figure anything out. He's pretty amazing. So anyway, um, so today we're going to talk about camera modes. You know, one of the things that I personally believe in is when you're learning photography, you should learn to shoot in the manual mode. 
But that doesn't mean that you always need to shoot in the manual mode. I just believe you should learn so that you understand what's going on. So I'm just going to ask Joe to explain these different camera modes, starting with auto. Well, I, I think before you could explain the camera modes, you have to have an understanding on what those modes are changing. And, and that gets into exposure or uh, how bright or dark your photo is after you take it. And there's three things that control that level of brightness or darkness in your final image. Your aperture, your shutter speed, and your ISO setting. Combined, they determine how bright or dark the final image is that's recorded by the uh, sensor, and then hence put onto the SD card or whatever. So you needed to have a little background in that. The shutter speed, uh, it's, it's like a, uh, a window that opens and closes. And when it does, it allows uh, light to go into the camera and hit the sensor and be recorded. So the longer it's open, the more light can hit the sensor and the brighter the resulting image is going to be. Uh, so that, that, that's, that's, what, that's the one thing that happens. The shutter records, allows more light to come in. The aperture is part of the lens and that's like the iris in your eye. And what that is, it opens or closes, restricting the image. So that allows you, that allows more or less light to come through the lens and then through the shutter and hits the image and it also controls brightness and darkness. The third thing is your ISO, which is a measure of the sensitivity of the sensor to the light that hits it. The higher the ISO, the less light is needed to get the same result. It's actually amplifying what actually hits the sensor is what actually happens in the background. So these three things are the things you're choosing when you select what mode you're doing. So basically, basically all three of them are either letting light come in or stopping light from coming yeah, in. Yeah, they're, regula they're regulating the amount of light coming in. Ooh. So why would you choose one over the other? Well, because they all have another effect besides just letting light in. And that's what determines what mode you would want to use. I started with shutter, so let me go back to shutter. So the, the shutter... Uh, in addition, when it lets in light, it's open for a fixed amount of time, usually hundredths of a second or thousandths of a second. The shorter it's open, the more likely it is to freeze motion because the subject has very little time to move during the period when the shutter is open and exposing the sensor. So, so a higher... Give us examples when you say short. Okay, short, I'm talking... Uh, if you have somebody running let's say, uh, or a bird in flight. Let's say a bird in flight. You have a bird in flight and it's flapping its wings like crazy. If you have a shutter speed of one two thousandths of a second, okay, you will freeze the motion of those wings in midair and it'll just look stopped and frozen in motion. If you use the slower shutter speed, let's say a 60th of a second, the bird would probably be all blurry because it moved quite a bit during the time that the shutter was open. And in between, you can get different looks. I have one photo, uh, maybe we'll toss it up, of greyhounds racing. And in them, the bodies are frozen in motion, but I selected a shutter speed where the feet or the legs are still moving. So it gives you an effect of motion. You can see that they're running because their legs are a little blurred while the bodies are nice and sharp. So okay. you can play with it. Yeah, we, we will put that picture in the show notes at understandphotography.com. Go ahead. Okay, another thing you can do if you use a very low shutter speed, let's say below uh, 1 25th of a second, uh, you can go to an amusement park and you can turn like the Ferris wheel or, or some of the other rides that are very colorfully lit at night and you can turn them into abstract art because the, the lights will just turn into a blur of motion as opposed to being distinct. Uh, you can also take a photo of something on the beach and uh, and by using a real slow shutter speed, maybe uh, uh, two or three seconds or something like that, or even longer, up to 25 or 30 seconds open. Seconds. Yeah, full not seconds. Not, not fractions, but if you do full seconds, uh, you can turn uh, a wavy water 
uh, waves coming up on the beach into a silky effect. I have a picture in back of me on the floor uh, that shows just that. It's pilings and the water around them almost looks like a mist. And that can, you can control that with that. So that's, that's interesting too. So depending on your shutter speed, you can get an entirely different look to a, a photograph. Okay, oh. so, so you're telling us this, and I think a lot of people know that shutter controls the motion. Yeah. So that's the effect. Exactly. Yeah. So, so by choosing a specific shutter speed, you can control the look of the image. So are we shooting in one of, which mode are we shooting in? Well, we're not any, I'm just giving an overview and then we'll say why you would use a specific one. Okay. And next you would have your aperture. Your aperture controls your depth of field, which is the range of the image from front to back that's, in, that, that's sharp surrounding the point of focus. The depth of field is, is what's in focus in front of and behind wherever your focus point was. And generally, it'll be sharp about a third in front of the focus point and about two thirds in back of the focus point. And how big that depth of field is, is determined by the aperture. As you go to a, a larger aperture like F2, smaller number is a bigger hole, wider aperture, like F2, you have a very short depth of field. So it's easy to blur a background. If you go to something like F11 or F16, you have a very great depth of field. So you get everything nice and sharp, sharp from near to far. So those are the things you look at when you select an aperture. What do you want in focus? All right, so that determines that. The ISO, the third thing, uh, as that, as you go to a higher ISO number, meaning you need less light to get the image, say from 100 to 400 to 800 to today, they go up to crazy numbers, you know, really nuts. As that number goes up, you get more noise in the image. Noise is kind of, it, it, it's static is what it is, but it's a visual representation of static. Kind of looks like the grain in old film cameras. It's all these little dots and, uh, and that, not only is annoying looking, you see that especially if you have a, a wide field like a blue sky or any area that's dark and you see that it's, it's easier to see it there. And that also reduces the sharpness of the image or the perceived sharpness of the image because you've got all these little dots affecting how sharp your lines are. So as that goes up, you're affecting the sharpness, which typically you don't want to do. So you have to take that into consideration when choosing these three things. So they're what, they're what the things do. Now we get into what happens when you choose a mode. So the first mode we can discuss is program, P, or maybe it's a green box on your camera. They work pretty much the same, only the difference between the two with the green box, typically you can't do anything other than name the camera and press the button. And when you say green bo box, you mean shooting an automatic. It's an automatic mode, yeah, that usually is a, a green dot or something next to the, there's usually a P setting and then there's another one which is usually uh, like a green rectangle or an A or whatever, that's fully totally automatic. That's pretty much the same as the P mode. The difference is you can't change anything in that green box mode, I'll call it, where in the P mode, you can override the settings to a certain extent and okay. make a little bit of a change. So. The P mode is programmed uh, to give you a nice looking image with as much in focus as possible. And it's designed for things that are stationary or moving fairly slow. So in other words, it's, it's your go-to camera, walk around on vacation and take smileys in front of the different things that you have there. You know, uh, we'll take a picture of the, uh, the Eiffel Tower or we'll take a picture of the half dome or whatever it is. And it's just like a snapshot. Uh, it's just giving you a snapshot mode. Uh, the result is not much different than what you get with your cell phone, which is programmed pretty much the same way. It's assuming general amount of light. It's not too light or it's not too dark. It's assumed that people probably aren't moving around. It's designed uh, usually to favor people as far as the exposure goes. It looks for heads and things like that when it's taking the exposure. So you get a general nice image if you have decent lighting conditions and nothing odd is going on. 
So you're saying if it's really dark, it's not a good mode to be in? If it's really dark, uh, you may have problems because it may favor raising the ISO instead of slowing down the shutter or opening the aperture. Typically, they in the program modes are very aggressive on raising the ISO so they can keep the other things in a mid-range. And in doing so, you probably are going to wind up with a noisier image than you would if you chose your own settings and or chose one of the other automatic modes where you're you're picking your ISO. Uh, it works fine. That's why I say good light, because in good light, it's, the ISO is going to stay low. So it's going to give you a typical average photo, but it's not going to give you anything creative because you don't have any control over your depth of field or whether you're blurring or sharpening the image. But it, if you just take the camera out and want to grab a shot, uh, it's going definitely going to give you a good image. If, if you keep a camera in the car or something like that to grab a shot when you see it, not a bad idea to put it on the P mode. That way you know your first shot is at least going to be well exposed. And then from there, you can immediately change to something else so you can get more creative or more specific about what you want. But at least you'll get one shot that's half decent, let's say. Okay. That's why we used to say peace for professional. <laughs> now, what I see is, you know, when people come to me, they've been, most people, not all, but lots of people have already been photographing. They've taken many classes, but everyone teaches them to shoot an aperture priority. What's, okay. so, what's so great about aperture priority? Well, an ap aperture priority is, allows you to control the depth of field. And a lot of times that's what's most important in a photo. If I'm going to take a portrait, typically I want to bring out the subjects and make the background less important in the shot by blurring it out to a certain extent, defocusing and make it a little softer. That could be anywhere from slightly out of focus to just a blurring mush in back of you, depending on what I chose. But that allows the subject to stand out, okay? It also is a, a lazy way to compose a photo, in my view, okay? Because you, you, you don't have to worry about leading lines to get to the subject or light and dark to get to the subject because the only thing that's going to be in focus is the subject. So you see where it is and that's that, you know? And whether, that, whether it's off to the side or whatever, you're, you're pulled right to the subject. Uh, and that can be a good thing sometimes, it can be a bad thing. So if you want an environmental portrait, you want to be able to see all that background. So you better know something about composition so you can still make the, uh, the person or, or subject uh, the most important part of the picture while still having the background nice and sharp. But uh, in aperture priority, you're making your choice. You're making your choice of depth of field, whether it's a large depth of field that you might want for a landscape a very shallow depth of field that you might want for a portrait or just for an artistic effect just to bring something out and blur a background. So how do you, so, how does it work? How do you do it? Well, in aperture priority, you set your camera on the A uh -huh. for aperture, okay? And then you set the aperture uh, with a, usually with a dial or on, on some cameras like a Fuji, it might be on the lens itself or you're setting it one of the dials on the camera, you're setting your aperture. On some of the introductory cameras, you might have to hold a button down as well while you spin the uh, control wheel. So you'd set the aperture to whatever you want for the kind of depth of field you want. So let's say that I'm um, I'm in a kind of a dark woods. I mean, it's it's day it's daytime, but it's dark in the woods, and I want a great depth of field. So I'm in aperture priority, what am I doing? Okay, so let's say you set it for F8 or F11, which is kind of the sweet spot to give you maximum depth of field and still retain sharpness, okay? With a, a typical normal kind of lens, you would use somewhere 50 millimeter on a, a full frame or uh, what would it be, uh, 28 or 30, I guess, on a crop body, something like that. So you set that up. And now you have a nice depth of field. And then the camera is going to choose the shutter speed it needs. And depending on what you do with the ISO, you can either 
choose your ISO or you can tell the camera, go choose the ISO as well. So depending on what you've done there, after you set it for aperture priority and set your, the aperture you want, the camera's gonna choose a shutter speed and an ISO to give you a proper exposure. Okay, so like, cause you and I have both been around a long time, right? So in the beginning, you couldn't, there was no such thing as auto ISO. No, so if you so did that, you were- Priority, you chose your aperture and your ISO, right? Yeah, so I'm in, a, I'm in a dark area. So I'm gonna set the aperture for what I want because it's important to me to have a specific depth of field. So I'm gonna set to get that depth of field. And then I'm going to set an ISO that I feel will give me a shutter speed and a reasonable range for me to handhold or, or whatever. Okay. So, and that I'm going to do based on experience or just rule of thumb. And if it's particularly dark, maybe I'll choose 800 to start with. And I'll see when I go to take a photo where that's going to put my shutter speed. And if it's somewhere where I'm happy with it, then I can take the picture. If not, I'd have to change the ISO. All right, so if you um, if you're not using auto ISO, your right. first year when you're in aperture priority, first you're determining what depth of field do I want. So I want a sharp depth of I want everything sharp. So yeah. let's say I'm choosing f11, okay? okay? And then I I'm in a forest and it's kind of dark, so I say okay, I'm going to go ISO 800. So I've chosen those two things. And then the camera chooses the shutter speed for me. Correct. So what are the drawbacks to that? Well, that shutter speed could be too slow to hand hold, let's say. Okay. Or it could be too slow to freeze motion, which I might want. Okay. Or maybe I want it blurry and it's choosing the shutter speed too fast to make it blurry. So I'd have to go back and change my ISO to get somewhere where I need to be. So now, you don't change your ISO that much. After you've shot a little while, you're gonna feel that if in this situation, I'm gonna use 100 or 200, in this situation, I'm gonna use 400 or 800. And in this situation here, it's really dark outside, it's night. So I'm gonna use pretty much the highest one I have and keep my fingers crossed. You know? Unless you're on a tripod. Yeah, I'm talking hand folded, yeah. Okay, so if you are in aperture priority, I'm still in aperture priority, and you put your ISO on auto ISO, then the only thing you control is your aperture, correct? Yes. Yeah. So what would be a pro or a con on doing it that way? Okay, well, uh, your, your, your camera is smart enough, it's gonna look at the focal length of the lens you have. And it's gonna say with this focal length lens, the minimum shutter speed you can probably hand hold at is whatever, okay? Let's say a 60th of a second. So once the shutter speed is down to a 60th of a second, it's going to start to crank the ISO up, mm. okay? Making it noisier and noisier. And maybe what the camera didn't know is you're on a tripod. So you didn't care how slow the shutter speed was because you're taking a picture of the rock of Gibraltar. It's not going to move. And the shutter speed could be two weeks for all you care, you know? So in that situation, the auto ISO is gonna give you a noisy picture where if you'd chosen a, an ISO of 100 on your own, you would have had much longer exposure but you would have got a, a really crisp picture with no noise in it. So the ISO automatic can be a good thing or a bad thing. Like I say, sometimes it does regressively. Maybe you can hand hold down to a, a 15th of a second, let's say, but the camera again doesn't know that. So again, it's picking up the ISO where if you were doing it on your own, you could go much slower. Not that I'm recommending hand holding at a 15th of a second, okay? Uh, it, that's typically not something that a person can do consistently and get sharp images, right? So, so that's what aperture priority does. You're, you're getting into, you're choosing the aperture because the depth of field is the most important thing. And then the camera or you are controlling the other two things. You, 
you maybe choose auto ISO or set it yourself. And then the camera is always going to select the shutter speed that it needs to get the brightness or darkness that it thinks you want. Well, it sounds to me like no matter what, you have to understand what's going on. That's why I like to start people in manual and you have to pay attention. You yeah. To, the, and the big problem I have with people shooting an aperture priority has nothing to do with what it does. It has to do with people don't pay attention. Yeah, they don't. They just shoot like they're an automatic. Yeah, they, they don't look at the shutter speed and they don't look at the ISO. And there's gonna come a point there where you've hit a ceiling on what it'll do for an ISO. So at that point, then it's gonna keep slowing down the shutter speed no matter what. So you could be in a situation where you think you're getting a good picture and here you have an exposure of a, a fifth of a second or a full second, which no way in the world you can hand hold. And you're, you know, you wonder why the, I get so many, times that people come back to me, Joe, my pictures are blurry. There must be something wrong with the camera. And I say, send me a couple of your images, the original ones, so I still have access to the EXIF information. First thing I look at is the shutter speed. And 99 times out of 100, the shutter speed was so low that there was no way you could get a sharp picture hand holding because they weren't paying attention. I have a story. It's a short story, don't worry. <laughs> So um, when I started teaching, you know, a lot of portrait photographers were taking classes. Now we teach more nature photographers, but back when I first started, it was mostly portrait photographers. And I would say, hey, if you want to go on a shoot with me, you know, like a family portrait or whatever, you can go. So this one young woman, I really liked her a lot. And I thought, I'm going to start training her. You know, maybe she could be one of my wedding assistants someday. So I brought her with me on a small wedding. It was a very small wedding. I didn't need a helper. It was like, I think there were like six people. So she was just there for her own experience. So I said, just, you know, don't worry about it. Just take whatever pictures you want. If anything's good, I'll use them. If not, I'll just throw them away. I don't need them. But for some reason she got nervous and she put, you know, she had learned an aperture priority. So she felt more secure in aperture priority. So she stuck her camera, she started in manual but then she put it back into aperture priority because she felt like that was safer for her. Well, you know, everything we do here in Naples, Florida is at sunset at the beach. And it was one of those sunsets that went from bright sun and that this big cloud cover came over and it got really dark. And so she's in aperture priority. She's taken all these pictures. They were almost all blurry because the shutter speed just kept slowing down and slowing yeah. down. But the problem was, is that little screen on the back of your camera when you look at it you can't tell that those pictures are blurry so she thought she was getting good pictures yeah there was there was not anything usable as soon as it started getting dark yeah. no usable pictures at all and she had no idea that's like you said that's what you see with your customers that they they're getting these blurry pictures but while they're looking at the back of the camera there's what 72 dots per inch in that little yeah, I mean it's real tiny I, you know it's 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 too small to give a good uh, clear idea of what you're doing you can't see that subtle bit of blurriness if you're just a little off but when you blow them up to a decent size you're going to see that none of them are sharp and it's a mess so that, that's part of it if you're on any of the automatic settings you also have to be looking uh, what you have to be looking at the information inside the camera and seeing what it's chosen for your uh, whatever your variables are that you can choose yourself, you know, just to be aware of what's going on. You know, there's going to be no giant blinking lights that go off, you know. Uh, there are some times when you're totally under or overexposed, but half the time it's a little dot and you don't pay attention to it, you know. So that's aperture priority. Okay, so what about shutter priority? Uh, now, shutter priority, you're picking the shutter speed. So you would pick that based on the kind, again, on the, the resulting image you want. Uh, I want a 30 second exposure because I want to turn these waves coming in on the beach into this silky blur. And, that, and that's the kind of look I want for this particular photo. So I need a real long exposure to get that. Okay, how long it is, you're going to have to trial and error because it depends on a number, how wavy, you know, how fast the waves are and big they are and everything else. But anyway, you're going to 
pick your shutter speed. Or maybe I'm going to do a bird in flight. And I know I need from experience one two thousandths of a second to freeze that bird in flight and get everything going, you know, nice and sharp, no blurred wingtips or anything else. Uh, maybe I want that and I go slower. But anyway, I chose the shutter speed for that. So then I have the camera is going to choose the aperture. And maybe I chose the ISO or the camera is going to choose the ISO. Okay, so you've got, you're going to put your dial into S or if you're a Canon shooter TV, just to, I don't know why yeah. Canon does that, but. <laughs> well, because they did it first. <laughs> well, they were the first ones to have that shutter priority and they called it time value. Okay. Uh, nobody wanted to copy that because it was too weird, you know. It's weird. So yeah, anyway, well, they do AV too for aperture value, you know. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, so you're going to put your camera in TV or S. Yeah. Then you're going to determine the shutter speed and, and right. you have to look in your camera manual to figure out how to do that. Yeah. And let me just say, one of the problems with some of the cameras is, well, a Canon is a good example. So you're when you're in manual mode on a Canon, you're going to change your aperture with the big dial on the back but when you're an aperture priority you can change it with either dial right uh just the just the control wheel on top i think i think it changes which which wheel you change so you have to make sure when you look in your manual that you're like okay i'm looking in shutter well when, when you're on one of the program modes uh aperture or shutter the same wheel you use the same wheel so the, the function of the wheel changes. So yeah, so just make sure when you look in your manual, my yeah. whole point is that you are looking under how to change the shutter in shutter priority. Right. Because it, not, it might be different than how to yeah. change the shutter in manual mode. Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway, okay so, okay, so we've changed that and it's the same thing with the ISO. You're either gonna choose your ISO or you're gonna put your ISO in exactly. Yeah. Okay, so what are the pros and cons and the benefits and well, drawbacks? It, well, the, the, the pros are if, if, if the look of the image depends on the time, length of time I have the shutter open, whether it's to get a blurry image or, or blurriness uh, because I want that soft waves at the beach or I want to blur the first wheel or if I want a very fast shutter speed because I want to freeze something in motion, that's the look of the image, and that's being controlled by the shutter speed I've chosen. And so I choose the shutter priority mode when the that look is more important than depth of field. Okay? Mm -hmm. Because if I'm trying to shoot a bird in flight, it makes no difference if I have a great depth of field if blurred, if the bird is a blurred mess. Okay? I mean it. It doesn't matter. I need it sharp, and the only way I get it sharp is with a, a specific shutter speed. All right. Now I could choose aperture and keep an eye on the shutter speed and hope it stays fast enough. But if it dips low and I'm doing action photography, it's too late for me to make the change. Okay. Now, now the newer cameras with the that go up to the super high ISOs that kind of saves you, right? Yeah, if, if I have if I have it on auto, you know, if, if I'm picking an ISO, I'm on shutter priority uh, and I pick an ISO because I don't have an automatic or I don't like the way the automatic works or, or whatever. So I pick something to keep my aperture in range that I know I'm going to have. So I know that if I'm up at the uh, alligator farm and it's first thing in the morning, all right. And I'm going to go up and I'm going to shoot the birds. Um, we're going in, we're going in the, we got a photographer's pass. We're going in the photographer's door first thing in the morning in a little red door. And we're going inside and we're going down. I can set my camera up back at the hotel because I know first thing in the morning to shoot those uh, great egrets and the uh, snowy egrets, which are dead white against a dark background with the sun first hitting I need one two thousandths of a second F8 and ISO 400. So I can set my shutter speed to one two thousand and I can set my ISO to 400 
And if it's a little lighter or darker than I anticipated, at F8, I have some room for the camera to choose a F11 or F5.6 or whatever and keep me in range there where I'm still going to get a good exposure because I have a little bit of wiggle room about what I have. And now, now that's because you can look at a scene and know kind of what your settings should be. I think a lot of us who have a lot of experience can do that, mm -hmm. but most people can't do that, Joe. Well, that's, it's not complicated. Uh, it's really based on what they call the sunny 16 rule. Okay, which is something that's been around long before I started taking up photography. And that's what the little pamphlet that used to be included with a roll of film was based on too and told you approximate settings. And if you understand that, what it is is that at, at, at F16, your shutter speed and your ISO should be the same number. So in other words, it's F16 and if I got a hundredth for the shutter speed, ISO 100 for that. And then everything, that's a sunny day. And then you just move around. I've got a tear in my eye there. Something's, ir something's been irritating in the air. Uh, so, but I mean, there's only, a, you know, people think that this moving around a third of a stop or this or that is going to really significantly change the photo. It isn't. Uh, it's going to be a subtle difference and you're going to be able to correct that easily in software. So being real precise on that to a, Third of a third of third of a stop or whatever isn't all that important as long as you're in the ballpark. So, just having a general idea will come to you quickly. And we usually have a cheat sheet on the website on the Understand Photography website giving you starting places that you can go from. You can set your camera before you go out. But the, getting back to it, in shutter priority, you're choosing your shutter speed based on how you want the photo to look, and then the camera's gonna pick both of the other things, the ISO and the aperture, or you're gonna pick the ISO too if you have a little more experience and just let the camera control the aperture and the aperture is gonna wander one way or the other. And you're not as concerned about what that depth of field is gonna be. Because if your, your ISO is in the ballpark, it's gonna stay in pretty much the same range. It's gonna change a little, but you're not gonna go from total blur to razor sharp, it's not going to make that kind of a wide change. So um, I can tell you, if you are not in ISO or auto ISO, if you chose your ISO, this is a much safer pro. What do you call these? I call them automatic modes. You called it what? Program? No. Well, yeah, they're automatic modes or different program modes. You know, anyway, uh, um, auto modes, whatever. If you're choosing your ISO this is such a safe auto uh, mode to be in because if you, you know, for, for those of us who are professionals and we got all these big expensive heavy lenses that open up to one point something or 2.8 or whatever, we don't get too much trouble. But if you don't right. have a good lens like that and you're not getting enough light, say you want your, your shutter speed at two thousandth of a second because you need the, the, you know, the speed to freeze the motion. So you're at two thousandth of a second and your ISO is at 400 and it cannot, you have a lens that it cannot open up to give you enough light. Right. So it's still going to take the picture, but you immediately know it's not a good picture because it's going to be really dark on the back yeah. of the screen. So right. even if, even if it's totally screwed up, you know, immediately, it's not like aperture priority where you don't really know if you're taking bad pictures, you yeah. know. Yeah, it, it's, 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 it's tough that way. I mean, uh, you know, and, and, and there's, I, I tend to suggest using shutter priority when you're taking pictures of fast moving events where the lighting is also varying rapidly. Okay, so it's hard for you to keep up with it like if you were on manual. A good, uh, thing of that that happens to me a lot uh the the local triple a team or double a or whatever they are uh here in fort myers when you're shooting an afternoon game there or an early evening game second base is in the daylight 
and third is in the shadow from the stadium. So if you're your place between second and third, or you want to shoot a runner going from second to third, you need two different exposures. Now I want to freeze the motion of the runner, a blurry runner or a blurry guy or a baseman catching the ball. And if they're a blur, it's useless. So I need a specific shutter speed at a minimum. And I got to have that. So I'm going to set my shutter speed and I'm going to uh, let the camera, and, they, and I'm going to usually choose my ISO as well for what I need. So I know I'm going to get a good picture in daylight and a good picture in the shade at different aperture settings. And then I'll let the camera worry about the aperture as I go from daylight to shade, because trying to change that if I'm in manual at the same time, I could do it, but it's distracting me from watching the play and I may be a little slower than this, where the camera's gonna do a fairly good job of making the change for me. It's certainly gonna give me a photo that's acceptable enough that I can do a little magic on and post to bring the levels back to where I need them. So it's good, shutter priority is good when you have rapidly moving events and changing light. By the way, I. I don't shoot shutter priority very often, but there have been a few times where I've had to. Um, but I did write a blog article and I'll put the link in the show notes. It said understandphotography.com, but my nephew was playing lacrosse. And uh, I, you know, I don't photograph sports. I'm not that interested in sports. So that was that was a new experience for me. So I blogged about it because I had to think about every single thing I was doing at the time, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I rarely, I mean, I, I'll shoot in shutter priority sometimes. Mostly I shoot in manual, but an automatic mode, I'll, I'll shoot in shutter priority uh, because I'm shooting something fast moving. Aperture priority me, when depth of field is getting that important, typically I got no moving subjects, okay? Or the movement is something I want. Uh, so to me, in those situations, I'm probably going to be on a tripod anyway, and I can choose all three and do it in manual, you know. Well, for me, to... you know, I was a wedding photographer for a long, long time, and um, a lot of wedding photographers shoot an aperture priority, but I, I, I always shot, yeah, I guess because I learned in the manual mode, it's hard for me to do an auto mode because I can't get the results I want. Yeah. But you know, those people coming down the aisle are coming down the aisle pretty quickly, but the lighting's not changing that drastically. So it's just this tiny little adjustment with the shutter and, you know. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's, you know, there we're getting into why shoot, the next thing is manual and, and there you're getting into it. In a lot of situations like that, when you're doing the shots at a wedding, the light isn't changing. When I'm up at the alligator farm shoot, and the bird rookery shooting the birds, the light isn't changing unless it's one of these cloudy days that the sun's going in and out and sun out. But typically the light is not changing. You're shooting those sports, the light is not changing. The light is the same. So you're not getting, you may be getting a little bit of a change based on where they are, but if you're here, the subject's there and the sun's over here, for a couple hours, you're not going to get any significant change in the lighting. So once you've determined your exposure, you're good to go. So you can shoot on manual, set all three things to what you want, and stop worrying about it all together and get to the important thing, which is composition and posing and what have you to give you the shot you want. You know, you, you, you're at the point there where the all the technical stuff with the camera is no longer you don't have to think about it because you've said it, you know, it's right. You don't have to chimp unless you want to chimp to see who had their eyes closed in the family portrait, you know, see, no, and really what you do there is you take two or three because you know, somebody's always going to have their eyes closed and you're going to have to swap heads. So, <laughs> see, no, I, I, I don't really agree with that. <laughs> okay. I never agree with you, right? <laughs> okay. Well, you never agree with me. So, because I, I almost always shoot in the manual mode, but I am always paying attention to my meter. My meter is on zero, my meter is on zero, my meter is on zero. I make slight little adjust adjustments constantly 
to keep my meter almost every shot. Now, some shots, if they're going too fast, maybe not, but most yeah. of the time there's enough. Because one of the things I learned this from, my, I took this uh, a couple of good week-long workshops with uh, Bambi Cantrell. She's a wedding photographer, very famous, very, very smart. But she was like, when you are working, your camera is just stuck to your eyeball, basically. Your, your yeah. hands are up. Your, your arms should be really tired by the end of the night because you don't put your camera down. So I agree with just, that, yeah. And then you just make those slight adjustments because you learn your camera, you learn, you know, that like on my I'm a Canon shooter, my index finger is my shutter, my thumb is my aperture. And, and right. the way that the cameras are designed, you know, they got a little thumb rest so you can just change by feel. And it's so easy if you're holding your camera correctly. <laughs> But, uh, so. You know, part of the thing there is your the metering mode you're using. Now, now, when you're doing that, you're using what spot metering? Yes. Or okay. So, so where you have that spot point is going to change what it takes to get it to zero. But where you have the spot point, the light on the subject hasn't changed. If I put the spot on your your, your dresser blouse, I can't tell what it's, okay, if I put it on that, I'm gonna get one reading. If I put it on your face, I'm gonna get it another. If I put it on the uh, image behind you, I'm gonna get a third reading. But the light on you is exactly the same. So if I follow that meter, I'm gonna get three different exposures where if I've taken a test shot, I know your face is exposed properly, I can ignore wherever that meter goes because it, doesn't matter. And it's the same thing if it was on matrix or evaluative or whatever you want to call the, the wider modes, because if I move to the right or left of you, it's going to read something different. But once I have it dialed in, regardless of what that meter does, it's the same. We, we see that a lot when we shoot a lot of white birds in Florida. Mm. And depending on what the background is, that suggested exposure from the camera is all over the place. But the light on that white bird is the same. And if you follow the meter, you're going to have overexposed and underexposed pictures. So you set it once and you forget it. As, as long as the light is the same. It's not moving. Well, even if it's flying, it's flying from here to there. The light's still in the same spot. Right. If the light stays the same. Yeah. Well, the sun doesn't typically run from one side to the other. Yeah. You know, well, it's, you know, you're it's, talking about bird photography. I'm more talking about well, even with even with landscapes, uh, uh, the photo behind you for people that can't see it, we have a sunset picture at the Naples Pier, and there's a certain amount of brightness in the upper left-hand corner, and then the bottom right is darker. So, if I took that picture from three or four different angles and moved a little bit up or down the beach, I'd get different suggested readings on the camera. But the light I need to get the picture would be exactly the same aperture and shutter speed and ISO as this photo right here. It wouldn't change. Well, you'd still be metering on the same spot. That's why it wouldn't change. Well, right? Well, well, if I was on spot, yeah. If I was on a value or matrix, no, because it would move around a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, and that would give me different. I anyway, the, light's not anyway gonna, the light is not going to change that much, but I, yeah. I, I do think it's important to pay attention to your meter. I well, really I'm not saying you shouldn't pay attention to it, and I'm not saying you shouldn't chimp, because you may, you know, uh, especially in the morning, like we shoot a lot of mornings, uh, whether we're shooting landscapes even, you know, you're shooting the subtle light of dawn, and then it's getting brighter and brighter as you go on, and you need, and since that change is subtle over an hour or so, you're not really aware of the, the way the brightness level goes up. And it's going up a lot in a short period of time. So you need to either be constantly metering or constantly chimping to, to see what's going on. A lot of time, if I'm on a tripod and I'm set in on manual, and let's say it's a sunset, well, I much prefer sunsets to sunrise due to the time of day they occur, you know, uh, so I'm set up on a tripod and I'm composed an image like you have in Bakia and I'm, I'm shooting. Uh, I really don't do a lot of metering at that point. Once I have the metering, I'll shoot. And as it gets darker, I'm looking. And if I see uh, my histogram, we'll talk about histograms in a minute. If I see my histogram starting to show me my picture is getting a little dark, I'll just boost up 
the ISO or shutter speed or whatever I'm going to, I've chosen to do to keep the brightness level up. But I'm just kicking it up based on the histogram. Okay. That's so you, the other yeah, thing. I mean, that's, yeah, I don't really pay attention to my histogram while I'm shooting. I have it, sometimes I'll have it come up when the picture comes up after I take yeah. it, but I pay attention to my meter, not my histogram so much. Okay. I, I, I pay attention to the histogram more than anything. Okay. Because the histogram is telling me if I've captured as much information as I can. It, it's they call that ETTR exposed to the right. Which and what that, way, I will put the link in the show notes. We have an entire show on right. exposing to the right. And I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head. And he was so good. I've had him on twice. Oh. Ah, anyway. Might have been me. <laughs> it wasn't you. Okay. But when you're exposed to the right, you're you're looking at the histogram. And there's probably we have something on histograms too, so I won't get into too much what it is. But on that graph on the histogram, you're trying to get the exposure as close to the right-hand wall as you can without climbing it. When you climb the right-hand wall, it means you got something overexposed. You're trying to get as close as you can to that without overexposing. That means you've gotten the most detail as you can in the dark areas. The further the histogram is to the left, the less detail you have in the dark issues. You start just getting black instead of fine shades of dark gray or whatever in there. Okay, so you expose to the right. And, and so what I'd be looking at like a, a sunrise or sunset or anything where the lighting's changing a lot, I'm looking at the histogram to make sure I'm in the right spot where I'm capturing as much information as I can. Now here we're talking static subjects, we're talking landscapes, or we're talking people posing or whatever. Uh, we're looking at getting all the information we can to get the subtle detail in the dark areas and still capture everything in the bright areas without any overexposure. When you're doing a wedding, and I know I don't wear tuxes and white gowns as much anymore, especially in Florida, I mean, you know, and probably California, but maybe somewhere in the Midwest, they still do that. But back when I was taking pictures, the guys all had on black tuxes and the women all had white gowns. And most of these gowns have all kinds of intricate embroidery and all this stuff in there. Well, you want to expose so you get all the detail in that white gown. And if to get that, the guy's tux just is a black blob, nobody really cares because you rented it anyway, you know? Now, with today's cameras, you have far more range that you can capture between the white and the black. So maybe now you can get some detail in that too. But your important thing is to get all the detail in the brightest parts of the image, the whites whether that's a wedding gown or whether that's the feathers on a bird or whatever, you're trying to get all that detail because we expect to see detail in the bright parts. If it's dark and there's no detail in there, that's fine to our brain because it's dark and we don't expect it. You know, uh, behind me here, I have a bookcase sitting in back of me and probably in this, the dark areas behind the glass, you can't really see any detail of what's in there. But it doesn't matter because it's dark and you don't expect it. But the brighter areas, you would want to see detail. In. You know, you'd want to see detail in my shirt or whatever. Right. Actually, it's it's easier to overexpose the whites. So that's another reason to pay attention to your. Yeah, you don't want to overexpose them, or you're you're messed up. And especially if that white is a small part of the image, and you're doing an evaluative or matrix metering you have a tendency to overexpose that because it's trying to get the detail in the greater area of the picture, which is dark, yeah. Right, right. All right, so um, we don't have much time left. So I do want to, I want to wrap this up, but before I do, um, some cameras have this, like a C1 and a C2 on their mode dial. What, what are those? Okay, uh, they're usually you find in the mid-level and higher level cameras and that C for custom. So what you can do there, whether you have C1, C2, or how many, I happen to have three on one of my cameras. They're very useful. If you shoot a specific kind of photography on a regular basis, you can take your camera and set it. Let's say I want to set it up. I like to use aperture priority, and I like my F11, and I want my ISO at 200 all the time. And I like value of metering 
and I like uh, all the rest of this, all the, all the doodads that are available on that camera. I can set all those custom things up and everything else. And then I can go into my menu and I say, assign all this stuff to C1. And the camera says, will do, Joe. And then I can go in again and I can change everything around. I can set up a manual mode and I can, again, have all different kinds of focus and metering and all the rest of the stuff. And I can say, assign that to C2. And it says, you betcha. And then I can take a third one. And this is one that I have on there all the time and set up a bracketing shot. I wanted this aperture, let's say. I want, I want the aperture to be F11. I want the ISO to be 100, okay? And I want to bracket two stops darker and two stops lighter, a three-shot bracket. And I can set that up and the camera says, gotcha. And then I go out and I go to a landscape and I say, oh, this is really pretty. And I choose C1 and I got my aperture all set and everything else and I take the picture. And then I run over here and I'm going to shoot a bird and I put it on C2 and I got the settings to shoot the bird. And then I go to a sunset, I set it on C3, and I got my bracketing all set up for that. And I can still modify it. It, it, it automatically puts those settings in, and then I can change them, and they will stay changed till the camera goes to sleep or I turn it off, and then it would go back to whatever's baked in there. And I can change them at will. So if you have multiple kinds of stuff you do and you want to rapidly change, it's real simple to just click, and you don't have to be looking in all these settings. Where do I control bracketing? Where do I control this? You know, uh, just just got it. Awesome. I feel it. It's That's great. Awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah. You know? All right. So we really have to wrap it up because we're running out of time. <laughs> so um, do a one minute uh, summary. Okay. I would say the your choices between aperture priority, shutter priority, and manual depend on your vision of the image. When you're shooting, you have to decide what's most important. Is depth of field most important or is a specific shutter speed most important? Based on that, you would choose aperture if it's depth of field, shutter if it's motion, or manual if it's either and you want more control in the situation. So that's really, you have to decide what's most important. That's the first thing you set whether it's choosing aperture priority because it's depth of field, whether it's choosing shutter priority because you want to freeze or blow motion, or whether it's manual and that's, you would either set the aperture first for depth of field or the shutter. And then the next thing is you choose your, your second thing. Uh, if you want your ISO locked or whether you want it to vary, and then the camera's going to choose the other one or you're going to choose the third thing yourself on manual. But you're making that decision. You got to look at it and say, what's most important? That's the first thing you set. And then the other things fall in. And that tells you what mode you need. I, um, I have a, a, a suggestion because, you know, I, I really do believe that you should learn to shoot in the manual mode and you learn to the metering and the histogram, all that. So for beginners, if they are, just don't feel completely confident in shooting in the manual mode, I tell them to put their ISO in auto. So stay in manual, mm -hmm. put your ISO in auto. So that way you're paying, at least you're paying attention to your shutter and your aperture so that you, you know, oh, I need the shutter has to be fast because this is a yeah. moving subject, you know, or whatever. So it, it gives you still that kind of like automatic mode where your, your exposures are always gonna be right but you're still playing with the shutter and the aperture. Yeah. You're getting, you're learning the effects of the two of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and the other thing, sometimes I tell people to put their camera in P. And the reason I do that is they get to a, a scene with unusual lighting and they're a beginner and they don't really have a feel for any of the exposure signs. So I put it in P, take a picture, look at it on the back of the camera and see what the camera chose for your three different things. And now you have a baseline that, okay, these are the things. And if you start to understand the relationship with the F-stops and changing one affects the other, 
you have a guide to start with and you have a place to start and then you can go to whatever other mode you want and fine tune from there. But at least you get a ballpark to get started instead of taking 20 pictures trying to figure out you know what you need when you have no idea yeah you know? i do the same thing i call it the way to cheat if you can't yeah. remember, just put it in program see what your camera says to put it and then yeah. go back to manual and put it in those settings and then yeah. you're and you got a general you idea a starting you know? point. <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you for being on the understand photography show I had a, really enjoyed it. Thank you for inviting me, Peggy. Well, thanks. Thanks to Joe for all his wisdom. He's a smart man. Poor guy, though. You know, I'm so sweet and nice to, and polite to all my other guests. With Joe, I'm like, I don't agree with you. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for joining us on the Understand Photography Show. Don't forget that, that our four weeks to proficiency in photography course um, it's starting up very, very soon. And then it's also a great present. You can find everything on our website, including the show notes at www.understandphotography.com. I'm Peggy Farron. Thanks for joining us. Yeah.